We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, what's up? I want the win, but Kyrie. Yeah, Kyrie was up. Obviously, the Nets lost in overtime in their home opener, 127-126 to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Very fun game to be at. I was live at Barclays Center. Jack, obviously, was able to catch some of it from Australia. But before we get started, as always, quick reminder, you can find us on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, Google Play, Dash Radio, and YouTube. Also, head to Design Tree slash Off the Glass. But, Jack, what do you want to dive into first? Yes, yeah, so Nick, I think we'll go through this chronologically. So we'll get to some pregame stuff because, you know, you had Barclays for opening night. What was the quote-unquote buzz-like pregame? Like, there was some buzz starting, but it didn't really pick up, I would say, until the second half. That's when it's really, really popped off and the crowd was going nuts. When Kyrie's scoring numbers really started to pop off, the fans were just electric. Early on, you know how it is in New York City. First quarter of the arena wasn't really full, but Katie got a really big ovation when they announced him because I know I know a lot of people didn't expect him to be there, and I didn't necessarily expect him to get some type of introduction like that. Yeah, and where were you in relation to, like, could you see Katie when he was having chats with the assistant coaches on the bench? Because I read some things on Twitter that he was engaged with some of the players and the assistants sort of, you know, being a part of the squad even though he's not out there physically. Yeah, I wasn't super close, but I was in a lower level. And you could constantly see him talking to Nets assistant coaches, a lot with Adam Harrington, at least from what I saw. And then also on the bench, talking to DeAndre Jordan a lot. Okay, cool. And in terms of the, the Kyrie's comments, obviously, um, that got a bit of traction. He seemed to get pretty emotional, seemed to be a pretty honest moment from him. How did you react? How did the, how did the arena sort of react in person? It was awesome. I mean, obviously, anytime a player shows emotion to the crowd, I think the fans love it. And it just felt like instantly there was a real connection between the fans and Kyrie. Even his ovation was probably the loudest for the starters. And then, like I mentioned, throughout the game, his scoring just kind of got everybody involved. And then also from the Brooklyn Brigade, they were doing the MVP chant, Kyrie is home. So just a lot of positive stuff in that connection. Awesome. Now, let's get to the nitty-gritty stuff. That first half, 
Nets went down 56 to 68. Luckily, we had that Spencer dagger, Dinwiddie three. Um, what went wrong in the first half? Defense was bad. You know, it just was, you're letting the Minnesota Timberwolves score 33 points in the first quarter, 35 points in the second quarter. They're getting a lot of easy shots, wide open shots. The Nets just weren't playing with the right intensity. Uh, Kyrie and Karras pretty much carried the team. I believe they had like 40 of the team's 56 points or something along those lines in the first quarter, first half. And guys like Torian Prince and Joe Harris really weren't that involved in the first half. They weren't being aggressive. Second half, they really picked it up. And then also the second unit, I think, was pretty bad most of the game. In terms of the defensive side, Nick, what do you put those defensive deficiencies down to? Was it miscommunication? Was it just a lack of effort? Was it a combination? Was it the schemes that Kenny was putting out there? Was it the fact that the Minnesota Timberwolves were just hitting shots? Was it just Carl Anthony Towns just being Carl Anthony Towns? Or, like, give me this combination. What was the melting pot of negativity that related to that defensive um, woes? Yeah, there was definitely multiple plays in the game where it was miscommunication where, you know, one guy thought he would switch or he would help there and they didn't. And then Minnesota either got a wide open three or wide open layup. And then I think intensity in the first half just wasn't high enough. And this third quarter really picked up. But in that first and second quarter, the Nets weren't necessarily like playing that great of defense. And then Carl Anthony Towns knocking down so many threes, I think just pretty much changed how the Nets could play defense because he was so effective and he did a great job. As soon as DeAndre Jordan came on the floor, Ryan Saunders put Carl uh, Anthony Towns back in and I feel like he got instantly six or nine points. In terms of that, Nick, you told me off wax that you thought that maybe Kenny should have thrown some different looks at Carl Anthony Towns because at the end of the day, you know, he was probably the the main key to the to Minnesota success tonight. Would you have thrown a guy like Toy and Prince at him? I know we've talked about on the pod before that Prince has had, had some moments against Anthony Davis in the preseason and he wasn't too bad. Would you have thrown some different looks at him? Yeah, I think you'd try it because obviously this guy's going off and you weren't doing a great job getting to him on the perimeter. And I feel like the Nets did have some success double-teaming him and trapping him. He had three turnovers, and there was other plays where he just kind of stumbled, and he just didn't know what to do. And they did a great job with active hands, but at other times, they were just giving him open shots when it was at the three-point line. I mean, he shot 11 threes, and I would say out of those 11 threes, two were only very, very tightly contested. Yeah, when I was watching, when I was lucky enough to get on break, I just saw him hit him. And uh, I've said before, I said on JBT before, that he has the potential to be the best center in the league. And that's saying something when you have Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic, who are absolute monsters. But in terms of the defensive side, before we get to some other points, are are those deficiencies, are those woes, are they fixable? Yeah, I think there's definitely things that are fixable. And I think some of it is just literally playing harder. You know what I mean? Like the intensity we saw in the third quarter compared to the first half was different. Guys, obviously there was some momentum with that, but guys were just playing into their their opponents. You know what I mean? Getting into their chest, making life difficult. The fourth quarter, I thought the defense was still pretty good. The refs called a lot of ticky-tower fouls, and then the Nets were in the penalty, you know, I think within eight minutes, or four minutes of the fourth quarter. So they really couldn't play that aggressive. In third quarter, they weren't getting called for as much. Okay, interesting. In terms of the first half, Nick, obviously you mentioned 40, 56 points for Kyrie and Karras. How was their chemistry? I loved it. I thought they had some nice chemistry, uh, sharing the ball plenty. You know, one guy would go, the other guy would go. There was a couple nice uh, give-and-go plays between them. You know, some of them missed, some of them hit, but you could see a connection there. And they were looking for each other constantly. Yeah, I remember I was lucky enough to see, I think it was in the second quarter, Kyrie just absolutely thread the needle to Karis LeVert, literally, and he finished over, I think, Wiggins and finished strong. And it showed that Kyrie is willing. Obviously, he had an absolutely outstanding night. You know, 50 points, eight rebounds, seven assists. I think I will put it on basketball reference that only three players have ever done that ever. Um, he's just an absolute monster. But with Kyrie, 
Did he, were there times, and I know some people, and then we had you know some discussions with some of the Celtics guys and some other fans uh, in the OTG DMs. Did Kyrie hijack the offense at all? Has the style changed, or were guys just not hitting their shots? Uh, I don't think so at all. I mean, in the first half, he probably was hijacking maybe a little bit, but also no one was being aggressive and no one was hitting shots, and the Nets needed someone to score because they were about to go down by 20. You know what I mean? So in the second half, he kind of got guys involved a little bit more. I thought his passing was great tonight. There was probably a couple potential assists that were missed out by either missed threes or missed layups or even on the last play regulation, having the confidence to give it to Jared Allen, and he had the chance to win the game. He just missed the free throws. Yeah, I mean, obviously, free throws matter. You know, when you go us so poor from the area, you have a 57.7%, 15 of 26. You hit a couple more of those. The Nets win it. It's simple as that. I think, obviously, we spoke about that at points last season, too. We know Jared Allen is normally a good free-throw shooter, if not a, a, an above-average free-throw shooter. But, you know, the moment got to him, and at the end of the day, it's, it's going to haunt him. It's going to haunt the team. But you move on to the next game, move on to the Knicks. But uh, in that sort of sense, Nick, you know, we got to the first half. Obviously, things were down. Uh, an incredibly hot start to, to kick off the third. What, what energy changed? Who was hitting the shots? Who was the sort of impetus there? Uh, you know, I think you mentioned this earlier. You hinted at it. Spencer's three at the end of the second quarter gave the team some momentum. They came out with that third quarter just with a lot of energy. They started with some type of run. Maybe it was a 6-0 run. Torian Prince was getting involved. Joe Harris was getting involved. And the team was playing good defense and disrupting the Timberwolves. And then they were also getting to the free throw line plenty too. And that's where Kyrie was getting to the line. He was doing his thing. It was just everything was working. Yeah, and I think in that sort of sense, you just get the synergy, you get the flow, and I think that there is still a, a lack of chemistry, especially on-court chemistry, that's going to be, you know, the, that way for a lot of teams in the league, you know, especially when you have seven new guys going in. Um, apparently, Nick, that the the Wolves obviously started incredibly well from deep, and the perimeter defense was lacking, but then they went 5 of 21. Did the perimeter defense really lock in, or was it just the Timberwolves missing some shots? I think it did pick up. Closeouts were a lot better in the second half. I would say in the first half, you saw a lot of just standing still closeouts. I'm going to put my arm up. In the second half, you saw a lot of, hey, I'm going to run at your body, and I'm going to make you think that I might block this shot. You know what I mean? The difference in a closeout like that is what kind of separates guys making and missing jump shots, especially when you're talking about below average three-point shooters. It's not like the Timberwolves team is filled with, you know, great three-point shooters. Towns is probably their best three-point shooter. A lot of the wing guys, that's also what they did better is letting the bad three-point shooters shoot more. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I mean, at the end of the day, you want to put the sh- put the ball out of the guy's hands who you don't necessarily want it, and hopefully, you know, things work out for the best. But uh, in that third quarter, Nick, you know, there were highlights of plenty of the energy. You know, they were able to outscore 37 to 20. Uh, but then the fourth quarter comes around and there were turnovers, turnovers, turnovers. Apparently nine, I, I, I believe, if, if I have the number right. Um, what did the Nets do wrong? Should they have closed it out? Should they? Were they unlucky to lose this one or was it? Or could it have really gone anyone's way? Uh, I think at, the way they played in the second half, they didn't deserve to win. And thus, I mean, the way they played in the first half, they didn't deserve to win. The second half, you know, I think it was a winnable game. The officiating got really tight in the fourth. And like I mentioned, they were in the penalty very quickly. Then they couldn't play as aggressive, and then it felt like things just slowed down offensively. They had a really good pace in the third quarter. Fourth quarter, with all the free throws, things slowed down, and then there was miscommunications. One play really sticks out. It was like Kyrie and Karras. Karras thought he was going to be deeper, and he was closer. He was making a cut. It ended up going out of bounds. So just plays like that and guys not necessarily having the right synergy. 
Yeah, I think that that's going to come, hopefully come sooner rather than later so the Nets can get it together. And Jack, just um, to throw this in there before I forget, uh, I felt like Kenny probably should have went to the starters a little sooner in the fourth quarter because the bench unit was not good tonight other than Spencer Dinwiddie. Yeah, and we'll certainly get to that. And I was actually just about to ask you that, Nick, in terms of there was some noise on Twitter. Should Kenny have put in Kyrie a little bit earlier? We spoke about that last season as well. When would you have put them in in terms of just a couple of minutes earlier, a couple of positions no, two earlier? Minutes earlier? Two minutes okay. earlier, I think I would have put in Kyrie. He put in Karras, and they were like, okay, well, he played Kyrie a little bit longer in the first half, whatever. This maybe makes sense, and maybe he's trying to build up the confidence. But he should have made swaps for, like, Torian. Joe looked a little bit tired this game, so I get why he didn't play him more minutes. Maybe, you know, USA and the China trip taking a toll on him. But uh, just the guys on the bench just weren't good. You know what I mean? Like, David Nwaba didn't have a good game. DeAndre Jordan just was rough on both ends of the floor. Garrett Temple had some good moments but missed some open shots. And Rodion's just, like, didn't have an impact. You would probably forgot he even played this game. Yeah, I mean, if we're looking at the plus-minus, and, I mean, plus-minus in a one-game sample is a little bit more indicative. Rodion's Kouros in seven minutes, minus 16. DeAndre Jordan in 17 minutes, minus 12. David Nwaba, minus 13 in 13 minutes. Spencer Dinwiddie, minus 7. Garrett Temple, minus 15. All of our starters were in the positives. So, normally, we speak about our bench as being one of our strong suits. What went wrong with the bench? Was it... Did, did Coach Kenny need to stagger the minutes of Carol Savert or something? What, what I think that's what in? he should do moving forward is, you okay. know, you have three very good guards. Like Spencer picked up in the second half, first half. I don't know. He was he kept doing this thing where he kept trying to throw lobs at DeAndre Jordan like all the time, and it didn't work, and that's why he had five turnovers. Like literally I think all five of his turnovers are attempted lob passes for DeAndre that either were bad passes or it just wasn't a good situation. So I don't know what he was trying to do. I always felt like the Timberwolves played the Nets bigs a little bit different than they anticipated. They did a great job of kind of putting a body on them so they couldn't go up for the alley-oop. But um, getting back to that bench unit, uh, I think they definitely should try to stagger the minutes with always having two of the three guys on the floor with Kyrie, uh, Karras, and Spencer. And that maybe even think about it. Obviously, this is extremely early in the season, but maybe give Musa some, a few minutes to give some more offensive playmaking to that second unit, some more spacing. Yeah, I mean, spacing is everything. And if, if Kuritz isn't going to be hitting the shots, then, you know, maybe Musa could come in. Maybe you go that little bit deeper. We did go 10 deep tonight. We know Kenny doesn't necessarily like to go much deeper than that. Uh, I saw this on Twitter. I think it was from Doug um, at, at Nets Republic and one of the most famous fans that we, we know. Should Joe Harris come off the bench, Nick? That Okay, that was actually going to be my next, next point. I would consider it. I would consider either starting maybe Garrett Temple or Rodion's and then have Joe Harris off the bench because that unit lacks spacing. You know, you have DeAndre Jordan, you have David Nwaba, who's not a good three-point shooter. You know, Garrett Temple's not anything crazy, and Rodion's is inconsistent. So maybe having Joe on that second unit or even just letting him play like four minutes with the starters, sending him to the bench, and then bring him back in. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think it's what's best for the team right now. It almost looks like it probably would be, uh, but you don't want to mess with some pretty quality chemistry that's happening with the starter. So I think that that's certainly something. Even Torian Prince, like one of the two, but I think you have to leave Prince because you need him at the four. I think it's just like the fact that when the Nets had Alan Crabb healthy, they'd like to play Joe Harris and then Alan Crabb at separate times because the team needed them. And then every once in a while, they'd get combined minutes. And in terms of uh, touching back on the lobs to DeAndre Jordan from Spencer Dinwiddie then, Nick, you know, it seemed to infuriate not just uh, you, but plenty of others uh, who were watching the game at home. Do you think that was Spencer trying to engage DeAndre Jordan in the offensive and trying to endear him? Trying too hard to do it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it It was frustrating. It was really frustrating because the first two times, whatever, it didn't work. And like, 
it's not like the Timberwolves are an old team. Noah Vonley is an athletic person. Like, he's more athletic than DeAndre is at this point. Obviously, he's a smaller player, but there wasn't great positioning on a lot of them. Maybe they could have called a foul on one or two of them, but I think Spence should just take the shot and be a little bit more aggressive next time and attack the rim. And that was a problem for the Nets in the in the first half. They adjusted a little bit in the second half, specifically Karis LeVert. There was a few times where he could have probably attacked the rim and he tried to pass to Jared Allen. And even Kyrie at a point where it was like, all right, just start taking the floaters because they're they're playing so far back. Yeah, I think that Minnesota. I think I've Good always been. That. Yeah, I think Minnesota. I think Ryan Saunders doesn't get enough credit as a coach. Obviously, he's quite young. I liked what he did in the latter half of the season. Obviously, Andrew Wiggins is going to do his thing, but they have Carl Anthony Towns, and they have a lot of other good role guys. You mentioned guys like Noah Vonleh, and they match up well against the Brooklyn Nets. And they did. They did their thing. You know, the Nets couldn't stop Carl Anthony Towns, and you know, unfortunately, Kyrie's performance is almost wasted in a sense. So. I think we probably should get to that, Nick. But before we do, talk me through that last possession. You know, you're there. We, I've seen it a million times posted on Twitter. Curry, I don't know how he keeps the handle. It's one of the most <laughs> insane things I've ever seen. Richard Jefferson's laughing his ass off. I am as well. The fact that he can somehow get up and still get the shot off. And I was surprised he didn't make it. I um, thought he was going to make it. I was like, yo, he got that. He has the ball. He's still shooting. What? He's in the elbow. Like, we know Kyrie can hit that shot in his sleep. <laughs> well, yeah. And, like, he got – I mean, he lost his balance. Um, my my fiancé was recording for me, like, recording the play. So, if it was a game winner, we'd have it. So, I rewatched that as we were walking out of Barclays. And he just, like, straight up lost his balance. Like, Josh yeah. Okoye's playing solid defense, but Kyrie straight up loses his footing and he's, like, on the ground. I don't even know how he gets up and shoots it because uh, Josh Okoye knees him in the face. Like, he bodies him. And it, it's not a foul because they're both going for the ball or whatever. Yeah. But he somehow yeah. gets up. It's almost like if he took – a half a second or even one more second to kind of catch his balance, he probably makes that, and it's a game winner. So, but the one thing that really stuck out is how upset he was after he missed that shot. He was laying on the floor. All of his teammates kind of consoled him, were hugging him. It honestly just looked like it, like, stabbed in the heart that he missed that shot, especially after such a historic performance. I mean, this is one of the best games I've ever seen in my life in person. Like, it was just exactly. amazing to watch. There was times where he just made shots consistently going to the rim over defenders like it was nothing. Like, Carlton Towns at times wasn't there to him. There was a play in the first half. He scored on three Timberwolves, and when he was done, he counted them. Oh, man. Uh, there's, I mean, it's going to be a fun season just watching Kyrie over doing his thing, obviously. This, been, and like, just to cut, sorry to cut you off, Jack, but I have to, this play was amazing. The step back three in the fourth quarter when the game was tied was just disgusting. We've got that guy on our roster. It's it's pretty insane to say. Obviously, you know there's there's going to be naysayers out there, but you can't fault a 50 point performance. It's it's otherworldly. It, it literally is, and I, I mean I can't wait to see him. You know, in literally less than a week's time when I'm over there, I'm going to be trying to see as many games in person as I can. While I've got the chance to see three, luckily enough. But talk us through. Kyrie Irving is a player, Nick. The, the, the aura, the energy that he brought in terms of whenever the ball was in his hands in the fourth quarter. You know, you've mentioned the fact that it's one of the best performances you've ever seen in person. You know, when we watched a few games together, when we I, we saw Anthony Davis put up, you know, 20, 30 and 20, it was one of the most insane. He's probably the best player I've ever seen in person. Obviously, I don't have the luxury of living in America. You know, Paul George is probably the second best player I've ever seen. In terms of Kyrie Irving as a player, um, just just rant for me. Give, give me some more. I mean, there was like nothing not to enjoy about Kyrie Irving. I'll tell you this. My fiance watches some Nets games. When we were driving home, she was like, I think I might actually have to watch every single Nets game this season. It was just <laughs> that electric. Like everybody was pumped. And you mentioned like the feel in the fourth quarter when Kyrie had the ball. 
it was just like a different vibe in the arena. There was confidence even on that last shot he was going to make it. Everybody was up, like, standing. I mean, he had the crowd jumping on a consistent basis in that fourth quarter with the three-point shots, the handling. And the one thing that really impressed me, and this goes to more show to the leadership stuff, is the way he kind of directed out on the court. He had a couple plays, a couple give-and-goes with guys or redirected, hey, you go here, you go there, and it led to the net scoring. So there was really like, ah, it was just so fun to watch. And you just appreciate having such a talented player on the nets and knowing he's on your team, you feel like you're going to win every close game. Oh yeah. He's one of the most clutch performers maybe in basketball history, at least of the, of more recent memory. Obviously that probably is a little bit hyperbolic when you've got guys like LeBron James, Michael Jordan, but he is an absolute killer when it comes to, to late game performances. And when, when we had the ball in his hands, like you mentioned, Nick, you know, it's, it's almost a bucket every time you, you, you can try and even get him slightly open. So, you know, I, I know Jared Allen was saying after the game, he's looking forward to just nailing some screens for him. And I guess we'll get to that sort of point outside of Kyrie Irving. The, the, the battle of the centers, you know, we've talked about it quite a bit. You know, is it Jared Allen's now? Is it solidified Jared Allen is going to be the starter unless barring any unforeseen circumstances? Yeah. Uh, let me just touch on one more thing about Kyrie before I get, forget this stat. Someone tweeted, maybe it was Will, uh, first player or third player in NBA history to have 50 points, seven assists and zero turnovers. I think Damian Lillard and Magic Johnson, I can't remember. Will was the one that tweeted that out. I've got to find it. But Damian was the other guy. I don't remember who the first guy is. I don't think it was Magic Johnson. Or it, might, it was someone someone probably like Oscar Robinson or, or yeah, someone yeah, else yeah. along those sort of lines. It's, you know, a, a historic night. And in a debut happen, game. <laughs> in a debut game. It, it's pretty insane. You know, Mick, Nick and I are going to be doing a, a, a new... A new segment for JBT where we find some of the best stats of the week and I might have to steal that one from Will, see if I can uh, get that one on the pot as well. But I guess we'll we'll get back to Jared Allen and, and DeAndre Jordan, Nick. Obviously, Jared Allen had his moments out there. You know, he's, he's taken names still. You know, five blocks. I put out a little bit of a thread following the game. You know, his defensive prowess is, is unparalleled. Talk to me a, a little bit about uh, the two centers' performances. Yeah, Jared Allen was substantially better than DeAndre Jordan. Jordan's foot speed is an issue, especially with Carl uh, Anthony Towns out there. And, and then at times where he does a good job of kind of sticking to perimeter, he's way too far from the rim to protect, where Jared Allen has that mobility. But Cat is a you know a hard animal for almost any NBA center to defend. But I also felt like Jared Allen was having more of an impact offensively too. Like he was just more active down there and he was more of a threat. He did miss the free throws. And there was a couple times where I felt like he just needed to go up and be aggressive and try to dunk the ball. Okay, interesting. And hopefully we can see that from from the, the throw going Zero, forward. All of four from the free throw line. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not necessarily something you like to see. I mean, Kyrie Irving got there 10 times and, and shot nine of 10. So it's essentially... And I'll tell you this, Kyrie could have been there more times. And I'm not saying, like, the officiating was super bad or anything, but there was probably at least three or four plays where they, he easily could have gotten and one. Yeah, I mean, it happens all the time when you look at the stars, like, you know, James Harden, LeBron James, those guys, you know, probably sometimes get the the rough end of the stick when it comes to them because they're just so good that they almost make it look easy uh, in that sort of sense of the imagination. You would be surprised if 80% of the time they're not finishing through contact. But, Nick, the guy who led the team in minutes was Torian Prince, 41 minutes. Are you surprised to, to note that when you were looking at the box score after the game? You know, I think we mentioned a little bit on the preview that there would be games where Prince is going to play the most minutes because mm. 
he's the only one that could essentially play the position he played. And he was just that switchable four, especially with so many wings that Minnesota was playing. This is kind of a, a weird game for him because he didn't actually have to like battle as a four. He went up against Robert Covington, who was around the same size. So it's it was different. And I think the Nets just needed his two-way ability because he was, you know, a solid defender in the game, but he also provided offense where at times they did try to attack Joe Harris. Yeah, I mean, in that sort of sense, we know to, we've sort of compared Torian Prince and Joe Harris at times when we've talked about season preview pods and the like, so you guys can always check that out and, and to refer back to it. But, you know, 41 minutes for him, you know, Joe Harris had 39 himself, Kyrie 38. You know, it's good to see that Ke- Coach Kenny's living he's being a bit more flexible when it comes to the guys, you know, writing his starters rather than sort of being a, a bit more liberal because, you know, it, it would have probably been an even worse result if the Nets had have given those minutes to guys like, you know, David Nwaba and Spencer Dinwiddie, DeAndre Jordan, because, you know, the depth guys just weren't feeling it. Is that the most worrying thing out of all of it, Nick? Obviously there's defensive issues. If we're ranking things that were sort of talked about that, you know, were weaknesses throughout the game, what are the most correctable? What are the least correctable? What do you think will take the most time? You know, give me some of your thoughts. Yeah, I think the second unit might be one of the bigger concerns. Are they as good as last year? You know, the second unit was huge. You mentioned that earlier. Like, there was times where the Nets were down 10, the bench would come in, they'd be tied. Or they'd boost the lead up to 10 because they were that good. Tonight, we saw them kind of get bodied by a bad Minnesota bench. Like, they have some okay players, but... The Nets players, based off of what we've seen in the past, should have performed better. I think a lot of it is chemistry, though. Like, they were just not running anything offensively, or it was just a lot of passing into nothing. And then also just missed shots and not being aggressive. We mentioned maybe a rotation change could possibly help. I could see that. Also, getting Moose involved, maybe give you some more offensive punch. Defensively, I think it's an intensity thing. And then also just better communication. So I think some it's correctable, but at the end of the day, we didn't expect the Nets to have, you know, the best perimeter defenders in the NBA on this team. I would say DeAndre tonight was kind of worrisome. Like his mobility is a real question mark, but obviously we're not going to go against Carl Anthony Towns every every day. So Exactly. But also I would say DeAndre's offensive impact was kind of a worrisome, but he did set some really good screens for Kyrie Irving. But the second unit, offensively, defensively, just really wasn't good. Rodion's, I was concerned that he didn't have more of an impact. You know, starting so many games and then just literally, like I mentioned, not feeling him out there, that's kind of disappointing. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Obviously, the the court date um, was could, quite recent. Yep. That could be playing on his mind a little bit. We can't obviously look into what's happening with him mentally and around the team. Obviously, like we've said a million times, and I'll say it again, you know, hopefully that gets resolved for all parties sooner rather than later, and there is there is a positive result. But in terms of that second unit, Nick, you know, I'll make a, a final point. Obviously, I haven't watched the game. I'll probably watch the replay a little bit later. The the starters have. Uh, they have the luxury of being able to play together more because they are the starters. They get more minutes. When you are the backup unit, you are forced to gel quicker with less time in training camp and practice games. So I think that obviously it is a little bit worrying because it was such a strength for us last year. And if you're looking at the Los Angeles Clippers, they've just gone from strength to strength when it comes to their bench, despite adding in a few new guys uh, around their wings. So for us, obviously, you're replacing Ed Davis with DeAndre Jordan. There is, I think, a step back in that because Ed Davis is at least an elite player in his role. You know, DeAndre Jordan getting three rebounds is almost unheard of. Toyin Prince leading the team in rebounding with 11, you know, getting a double-double. And then Jared Allen with nine, which is a good thing. So I think for me there, hopefully, like you've said, that these things are correctable sooner rather than later and that more than anything, we can get the win over the Knicks. Yeah, no, I think the team will come out with good momentum against the Knicks, especially the way they lost tonight. And for a loss, there was so, so many positive signs. Like, that third quarter is the type of third quarter that very good teams have. 
you know, you don't body a team 37 to 20 because you're bad or you got lucky. It's not like they were shooting an excessive amount of shots. They were just playing better and harder in that third quarter. Yeah, if you're looking at the scoring, if the, we always talk about consistency, uh, you know, in any sport and, you know, I guess in, in any sort of facet of life, but first quarter, 22 points. And then you got the second and the third where you combine for 71 points. And then that final quarter, only 22 points. So if there's a, a semblance of consistency, you bring that 22 to 25 and, you know, you limit Minnesota to maybe 30 or so. Uh, I think that there are things that are things that are correctable. You know, the, the physicality and, and the rebounding thing, it could be a worry against a, a really large team in, in the New York Knicks, but the Spurs really set a sort of blueprint there. And I think guys like DeAndre Jordan and some of the bench guys, hopefully we see some better performances from them. But any final thoughts, Nick, um, other than you know, the fact that uh, the Nets did assign Timothy Lowell Cabarot uh, to that final two-way? Yeah, I did see that on the screen when I walked into the arena. But uh, just a couple notes, I guess. Um, let me start with, we didn't really mention Karis LeVert. Karis, I think, had a solid game, and I guess he's at this level now where it wasn't a good game by Karis LeVert's standard, but it was a solid game. You know, he had 20 points, five rebounds, four assists, but the five turnovers, he did have three steals. He just looked a little bit out of sync at times, and like I said, it almost disrupted him the most of the way they played the bigs for the Nets because he wasn't able to kind of do his natural inside passes. They kind of wanted him to shoot a little bit more down there, and he kind of just hesitated a little bit too much. But other than that, uh, shout-out to Kenny. A ton of great play calls tonight like every time they came out of a timeout or you know a commercial break or whatever it was it seemed like they got an open three yeah i mean touching on carol severt a little bit there nick there were a couple of plays where he was able to find jared allen down low those are the sort of patented chemistry that we've seen from those guys the past few seasons and it's funny that we're talking about an average game from carol severt and you rattle off his box score he did finish plus nine as well three steals like you mentioned four assists five rebounds obviously only one or four from the free throw line so I guess those are the sort of areas that can take you from being, this is now the standard of Karis Avert. You know, this is what an average game for him is. So we have higher expectations of him. He was still probably our second or third best player tonight uh, in a lot of ways. But, you know, we want more from him. And I know you've got high expectations of him and, and so does the rest of us. And, you know, Coach Kenny did some good things. He did some bad things. You know, he's finding his way as well. This is a new roster for him. So he has to find his way. And I think it's going to be a give and take sort of thing. You know, we aren't going to see the results. Hopefully, we can maintain, you know, we're our head above water over the first 10 games or so. But I think the chemistry will come. I think hopefully we iron out the wrinkles on the defensive end because that is certainly a little bit worrisome. And hopefully this chemistry can build because it was a strong point last season. And hopefully we can bring it this season. But, you know, Kyrie Irving, it was the, the story of the night. He was the best player in the NBA tonight. He played like the best player. No one's going to put up a better stat line. I'll say that now. I know the games aren't over with. But put up 50 points in his debut. It gives you a lot of confidence because I think a lot of things are correctable and other guys aren't going to play that bad. And Joe Harris, Torian Prince will be more active. And Spencer Dinwiddie really didn't pick it up into the second half either. But, Jack, as always, a pleasure talking Nets with you. Big thanks, everybody, for checking us out. Find us on iTunes, otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, Google Play, Dash Radio, and YouTube. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. 
Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.